that the Lord Jesus shared, but it will be helpful for us, I think, if we uh, read them together. I'll start at verse 35 of chapter 9 and then go through to verse 6 of uh, the following chapter. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his his harvest field. He called his twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip, and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you, preach, as you go, preach this message, the kingdom of heaven is near. When I was in uh, Nairobi a couple of weeks ago, I saw a scene that reminded me of uh, scenes that we would have had in this country some years ago of men standing along a wall early in the morning waiting to be employed for the work of the day. And uh, a few would be chosen and others would not have the opportunity for that work and they would have to come back the following day, again hoping for work that following day. And so, in a sense, that represents the very opposite of what we have to look at this morning. Because in that scene in Nairobi, there were too many workers, not enough work. But in God's kingdom, in God's economy... The way the kingdom of God moves forward, it seems to be always the reverse. Too much work and not enough workers. And so this is Jesus explaining how the strategy that he is presenting to his disciples as to how God's kingdom moves forward. Jesus has been ministering in the Galilean area, attracting a growing following of people who are excited, who are enthralled, who are following him to see what he would do. And yet, in seeing these crowds and recognizing the depth of their spiritual needs, Jesus is moved with compassion and he speaks of the crowds as being like sheep without a shepherd And he challenges his disciples to commitment to work for God's kingdom so that the needs of those sheep, the needs of those crowds would be met. But as we look at this passage, I think the first thing that strikes us is the compassion of the Lord Jesus. That's what he says in verse uh, 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion upon them. So seeing the multitudes, seeing these crowds of people, Jesus wasn't indifferent to the crowds, but he was compassionate, he was tender, he was empathetic. 
He was moved. He wanted to express love towards them. And why were the people described as sheep without a shepherd? He was recognizing the struggles of those people. What were the struggles of the people at that time? They were under the domination of the Roman people. They were suffering with the wrong direction of the Pharisees. They were being attacked by the devil, lost in their sin, and confused too as to God's plan of salvation. And so now we see the good shepherd seeing the people who were lost, seeing the people who were in need. We see that the Lord Jesus, as that good shepherd, speaks warmly and tenderly of them. I wonder how many people here have seen sheep without a shepherd. We don't see that sort of scene in Gloucester Road ever at all, seeing sheep go running about without a shepherd. And I think that in our urban setting, not many of us have that experience. But let me assure you that when the sheep are lost, where sheep don't have a shepherd, they're skittish. They run from this place to that place. They're confused. They go in one direction and, and then another. And you can see that sheep need a shepherd. And that's the wonder of what we've been singing about this morning, praising our God. The lost sheep as we are, he has sent the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus, who has compassion for us. And we see that the, these sheep are not only without a shepherd, they are harassed and helpless. And these words that are used are, are, are significant. They're very strong words. They're speaking of sheep, in a sense, who have been flayed, that they've been stripped in their flesh. And in a sense, what the, the, the force of what's being said is that they've been attacked from all sides and are in some way broken. As that is true in Jesus' day, I think that's true also in our day. For all our affluence and for all the possibilities that we have in our setting, in our context in this country today, I think it's generally recognized that people are more pressed and harried, harassed and harried than ever before. I was on a bus in, again in Nairobi um, a few months ago, and this is what the announcer on the radio said. As you wake up each day, you are either a lion or an antelope. I'm sure that thought never occurred to you, but that's... <laughs> you are either a lion or an antelope. The lion must run to eat and the antelope must run to live. Whoever you are, you have to run, so get running. And I think that's expressive of the pressures that our society experiences. Harried, pressing, rush. And Jesus has compassion for such as those. Helpless means to be thrown down from a mortal wound. Those that are left for dead. And why are they helpless? Why are they harassed? It's because these sheep, these people have gone their own way. They've gone their own way in rebellion against God. And yet, what's the response of the good shepherd? 
It's not to reject them, but to have compassion, but to be tender towards them. Do you remember the father in the story of the prodigal son? When he saw his son, the prodigal son at a distance, what happened? He was filled with compassion and he ran towards him. And that's the nature of the Lord Jesus. That's who the Lord Jesus is. And as we were singing and as we had testimony earlier on, the Lord Jesus doesn't change. And as he has compassion for those who are helpless, those who are harassed, he has compassion on us today. And so I don't know what you are feeling right now. You all look very calm and very contented. But we all know that inside our hearts, inside where no one else is seeing, we may feel that harassment. We may feel that helplessness, that brokenness. What am I going to do-ness? The good shepherd knows. He has compassion for you. And he ministers his love to you in order that you know the guidance, that you know the direction, that you know the blessing, that you know the smile and the help of that heavenly good shepherd who will guide and lead and direct. What's your situation this morning? Do you know the good shepherd? If you know him, let me remind you of who he is for you. As he was before, so will he be today and maybe for the things that you are concerned about for the future. But maybe you don't know this good shepherd. Let me encourage you, let me remind you from the scriptures that we are looking at now that he is a God who has compassion for you. The verse speaks of crowds. Jesus sees the crowds and then he speaks of sheep. Sadly for us, so often we see crowds and all we see are crowds. We don't see people. We just see crowds, but Jesus sees people. And Jesus sees you in the midst of all of these people. He sees you. He sees me. And he shows us that compassion and that tenderness. And this is good news. This is the gospel. This is why Jesus came in order to bring these lost sheep back to himself and to enjoy the blessings of salvation. But this message is not just for us here in Cairns Road. It's for those in our streets, in our neighborhoods, in our office. And it's for all peoples. And this is the wonder of our majestic, glorious God, that this message of salvation He wants all peoples to enjoy. And I'd like to show us just a brief uh, video which I hope explains why this message is for all peoples. Let's listen to it and then I'll... This isn't the end of the sermon. You've got to wait a little longer after that. What is a UPG? UPG stands for Unreached People Group. But to understand what that means, we need to first talk about people groups. When Jesus told his followers, go and make disciples of all nations, the Greek words he used were ta-ethne, meaning all ethnic groups or people groups. 
So what is a people group? A people group is basically a group of individuals that have a common sense of history, language, beliefs, and identity. It is pretty much a group of people that considers us, us, and everyone else, them. While there are about 196 countries in the world today, there are over 16,000 distinct people groups. Let's look at Pakistan as an example. That is one nation going by our English word, but ethnically Pakistan has over 400 distinct nations or people groups within its borders. Around 7,000 of those 16,000 total people groups are considered UPGs or unreached people groups. A group is considered unreached if less than 2% of their population is evangelical Christian. That is, it has too few true believers to evangelize and disciple the rest of the people group. Almost 3 billion people fall into this category. Over 3,000 of those 7,000 unreached people groups are considered UUPGs, or unengaged unreached people groups. These people groups have no churches, no believers, no missionaries, and no one actively focused on engaging them. 95% of all unreached people groups are located in the part of the world between 10 degrees latitude and 40 degrees latitude stretching from North Africa to Southeast Asia. We call this the 1040 window. It's in the 1040 window that most of the major non-Christian religions hold sway. Collectively, they are known as the Thumb People, tribal, Hindu, unreligious, including many Chinese, Muslim, and Buddhist. Jesus said that the gospel of the kingdom would be preached as a testimony to Ta Ethne, all people groups, and then the end would come. Less than 3% of our total cross-cultural missionary force is working with unreached people groups. We must go to the unreached. At the same time, it's estimated that over 350 unreached people groups are living in the United States today as immigrants, refugees, and international students. We must welcome the unreached. Christ commands us to make disciples of all nations. Jesus is alive. His mission for us is clear, yet the task stands incomplete. Together, we can change that. And so this message that we enjoy, God says, is for all peoples. And on behalf of the three billion people who still haven't heard, I want, us to, encourage, I want to encourage us to look at the light of Scripture and decide what we need to be doing. Because Jesus said, this harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. What's Jesus' plan for this harvest? He says two things here. First of all, we are to pray. He doesn't ask for volunteers. He doesn't say who will be ready to go. He doesn't give us a detailed strategic plan, master plan. He doesn't start a harvester's training program. What does he do? He encourages us. He commands us to pray. Call upon me. Call upon me. And there will be workers that are sent out. Do you remember how Abraham prayed for Sodom? How he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. He engaged with God, asking him for mercy. And I think that's the call, that's the exhortation that I feel from this passage to call upon God, intercede for the 
How many billion? Three billion people. We had one of our workers, one of our missionaries, who was working in an unreached people group. And uh, a couple from this country heard about the, the ministry in that country, and they asked to be put on their prayer letter list. And so, because the worker was an, an American and uh, this couple was in the UK, uh, they really didn't uh, meet. But then a few years ago, they had opportunity to meet, and uh, our member was so encouraged and staggered to see that when they came and they had opportunity to interact together, to see that this couple knew so much about what was going on because they were reading, and they were praying, they had researched, and they had adopted this people as their own, and they were praying for God to work. And I think it's a similar commitment, a similar challenge that we have to pray that God would work and that God would have mercy. In this day and age, we have so many opportunities to find out what's going on in the world. And if I could just ask for the Joshua Project to be put up uh, above me, this particular um, people group is, as it says, in Ethiopia, in the Horn of Africa. Joshua Project has measures all the unreached people groups of the world. And every day on a free app that you can get on your phone, you can get regular updates, a new unreached people group every day showing you the spiritual needs and encouraging you to pray. Second slide is for Operation World. I think many of us have heard Operation World. They have an app where you can pray for countries and not just unreached people groups. I'm just sharing that as, a, as an illustration of what we what is available for us and how we can be involved. Not all of us are going to be called to another country, but I think all of us can be called to pray and to call upon God, asking him to move in these unreached people groups. The, when we get to heaven, what, what, how fun would it be to engage with different people groups from around the world who are now in the presence of the king whom God has brought to know the good shepherd using your prayers. Prayer is free. It's costly, but it's free. And so I just want to encourage us to be engaged in prayer for our streets, for our neighborhoods, for our friends, but also to pray for the unreached of the world. And as the second thing that we see from the chapter here, from what the Lord Jesus is saying, yes, he says, pray. And as we pray, then what happens? The Lord of the harvest sends them out. There's a divine impulsion that God uses to send weak and broken people with the message of salvation to those who are in darkness, to these sheep who are harried and helpless. God uses his power in our weakness 
bringing glory to his name. I'm privileged to travel to different places in Africa, and uh, some of the places are, are quite hostile to the gospel. And why are people in that situation? Why are they seeking to be witnesses, recognizing that danger? It is quite simply because it's that sense that God has sent them there. Not because of advantages, personal advantages, but that sense of divine impulsion. And I think when we pray, when we call upon God, God moves by His Spirit and gives to us His strength for the ministry that He calls us to. I was very struck a couple of weeks ago by the story of uh, a Somali believer. Now, if you know anything about Somalis, you would know that there are very few of them who are Christians, and that Somalis, coming from an Islamic background, are not happy when uh, Somalis leave the Islamic faith and become Christians. But there was this, this one Christian um, believer who was stopped one day in his, the high street of his town, and two men with AK-47s were there to kill him. They put him on the ground, and the first one took his AK-47 and tried to shoot, but it jammed. He got the second AK-47, and miracle of miracles, that jammed too. The man was saved from that physical death. The two men were put in prison. They're now in prison, not because of attempted murder, but because they belong to a terrorist organization. But my point of the story is, where is that believer now? Where is that Somali believer? He's still in that same town, believing that God has called him to be a witness and to speak about the Good Shepherd for those who are around him who are helpless and without a shepherd. How does that happen? That happens because God gives strength when we pray and he sends us out. And I want to encourage you this morning in the witness that you are knowing in your own work situation, in your own neighborhood, as you pray, God sends you. God gives you his authority. And so God's kingdom moves forward. This is what Hudson Taylor said about the needs for more workers. The great need is not for more elaborate pleas for help. If we're to meet the needs of the world, two things must happen. First, there must be earnest prayer to the Lord of the harvest. Second, there must be the deepening of the spiritual life of the church so that men and women will be unable to stay at home. The last thing that I want to say is the challenge that Jesus gives to us. We've seen his compassion, and we've seen what he calls us to do. He calls us to pray, and then God sends us. And the challenge that I think that we have from this passage is to recognize that from Genesis to Revelation, we have God's plan for the world, and that plan is missional. It's a gracious, all-powerful God who reaches out to fallen man with his message of hope. And this message of hope is 
for all peoples. Initially, he used angels, he used prophets. Then he sent his son to show the way of the salvation and to open the doors of salvation. And now he uses weak and broken people like you and me in his harvest field to take that message to the fallen world. When Jesus is saying here, Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Don't think that he's thinking about other people. If you're a Christian, he's talking about you and me. And we're praying that God would empower us, give us his strength in order to go to the people whom God is calling us to minister to. And clearly the word here is workers. Has anybody been involved in uh, harvest time, working in harvest time? It's hard work. It's hard work. And as we read in the, the chapter 10 following, those who prayed are sent. And they are sent to demanding work. They're facing rejection, they're facing persecution, they're calling, there's a call to self-denial. But that's the challenge that we have from Scripture here, that we are called to work, and we're called to go into that harvest. And what does the word say? It's plentiful. That's the encouraging thing for us. Even though we sense our weakness, that we are broken and that we are insufficient, with God's strength, as we go into that harvest field, we see that it's plentiful and God adds his blessing there. So whether it's Kellaway Avenue or whether it's Cairo, we recognize that this hurting world is in need of the good news. And God has entrusted that good news to us to go and take it to others in order that he would be glorified as we share that news, that good news of the Good Shepherd. I'd like us to listen to the final clip and then I just have one sentence to share after that and then I'm done. Thanks, Andy. You, look at your eyes, look at them, speckled, colorful, each one unique, and I created every one of them, I created everything, the universe, and you, I gave you your personality, I made you pure, And every day, I give you life. I love you. But something happened. You cheated on me. You didn't trust me. You sinned. You 
cut yourself off from me. And although you're still alive, you are slowly dying. So you looked for other things. To fill the void. But nothing works. Follow me. So that's the good news. It's good news for us. It's good news for the peoples of the world. May the Lord lead us to know how we can give expression to the commands that we've looked at this morning for the glory of his name and for the blessings of the peoples. I just want to um, share one thing that has been going on in my mind as I've been listening to Ian's challenging sermon. Actually, I 
stand here in front of you 24 years later because somebody dared to pray to the Lord of the harvest. And I am eternally grateful for that.